All right. Well, again, good morning. Um, we are so glad to finally be here. Uh, it's been a it's been a long time coming, um, but it's just really good to be with you this morning and to worship. Uh, our stuff has not arrived yet, but just so continue to pray for us. Uh, we have everything we need. Um, the Lord is enough. Amen. Um, and He provides, and He's provided through you all uh, on many different levels. And so I thank you for your generosity uh, and, and for your kindness uh, for us coming in. Um, so Janice, if you want to go ahead and hit that first slide, uh, just wanted to kind of introduce us. I know I've met a lot of you already. Um, so first of all, I'm, I'm not really a huge sports fan. Uh, but I was trying to find something that had Texas and Oregon in it. Uh, and second of all, it has nothing to do with my message this morning, but um, that is the, uh, I think I wrote it down here, the Alamo Bowl in 2013. And uh, that Texas guy right there, that's basically how I felt after driving three days, 36 hours, 2,000 miles from Texas to Oregon. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one, though. Um, a little bit about the Samuels family. So my name's Mike. Uh, you can call me Mike or Michael. It doesn't make much a difference to me. Mike might be better because I know there's a, a, some other Michaels here. Uh, so I'm 29. I grew up in Euless, Texas. And uh, I was saved by God's marvelous grace around the age of 19 when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, and so, uh, yeah, my wife, Brooke... She's 25. Uh, she grew up in Greenville, Texas, which is just east of Dallas. And uh, she was saved when she was at a young age. Uh, we got married in May of 2015. I had to remember there for a minute. Okay, May 23rd, 2015, we got married. Um, and Brooke's birthday is coming up in October. Uh, Tommy, we had Tommy in July of 2017. She's 15 months, and as you can see, she loves strawberries and anything dangerous. So if you ever hold Tommy, just know that she might try to jump out of your hands head first. Uh, just be prepared for that, and she'll probably laugh about it too. So go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, I wanted you all to have my, my information, uh, my contact info. The Lord has called us to come here. He's called me to preach, to love, to protect, uh, to serve, and to shepherd this local body. And so I'm, gonna, I'm taking that very seriously, and I'm looking forward to getting to know each of you on a, a more personal level um, the days, weeks, months, and Lord willing, years uh, ahead. So don't hesitate to call. You can write this down. You can snap a picture of it. Um, but this is my phone number and email address. I will probably be getting a new email address at some point, but I'll let everyone know. Um, the uh, Glendale Facebook page has a facelift, and so you can go check that out. And uh, we are also working on the website as well. But again, don't hesitate to, to reach out, to call, or to text me. Um, I'm here to serve. Uh, some evenings uh, I may not respond just because I'm with my family. Um, and I, I'm sure you understand that. But I will get back to you in the morning if you don't hear from me. Unless it's an emergency. If it is, then I will, I will definitely be responding. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's about it. And, uh, yep, here to serve, preach, teach, protect, love, and help build up and do any spiritual good that I can to this community. So I am here for you to serve the Lord. Uh, so with that, um, we know that 
Nothing can be done unless it's done uh, through the Lord, as the psalm says. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, again, we worship you and we adore you because of who you are and because of what you've done for us. And we come to you through Christ, Lord, asking now during this time as we look at your word, uh, God, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us of things in our lives that are not pleasing to you, Lord, and uh, that you would bind us up, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us through your word during this time now. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, so next week, like I said, we're going we're gonna to start going verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and uh, that's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about that, but uh, this morning I want to preach one of my favorite texts in the Bible, uh, and it's John 15, verses 1 through 5. So if you'll turn there with me, let's go to God's Word this morning and look at that. And uh, something I like to do, uh, I'm kind of ADD, sorry, but... Uh, I will be preaching primarily out of the ESV. If you have another version, that's fine. But just so you know, um, that's, that's the translation I usually preach out of and, and do most of my other studies through. Um, but let's go ahead. One thing I like to do is stand to honor the reading of God's Word. So if you would stand with me this morning. And I'm going to read uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 1 through 11 for context. John 15, beginning in verse 1, says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. And you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated this morning. I haven't noticed any here yet. Y'all very well may have them, I just haven't seen them, but in Texas we have these beautiful colored trees called crepe myrtles. Um, And one of my chores growing up was to prune the crepe myrtles at my house. Uh, So in the summer, uh, they begin to bud until about the fall, winter, and then uh, wintertime, the flower starts to fall and the branches die, and so I would have to go out uh, and I would prune them in the wintertime. And so, you know, it got me thinking, though, like crepe myrtles, each and every single one of us goes through different seasons in life. We go through seasons where God prunes us, and we go through seasons where God uses us. And the title of my message this morning, uh, if I gave one, it would be, Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life. And if I had a subtitle, it would be, Abide in Christ. To abide in Christ. And so... 
you know, thinking about preaching this morning, praying through all these things, just thinking about one of my aims as a pastor, as Paul says in Colossians 1.28, is for my own soul and for my family, is to present you mature in Christ. I want to present you and my family and myself mature in Christ because one day I'm going to give an account to the Lord for my time, my energy, my money, and all the resources and relationships that God has entrusted to me. And I just want to mention three things here that I think are essential for us getting there. Um, And the first one would have to be is that one of my prayers is, is that as a church, our confidence in our everyday life, and it's, it's interesting because it ties into what we talked about a little bit this morning in Sunday school, is that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our salvation does not rest in us, but that it rests in Christ alone, and that it's by His grace alone, and through faith alone in Him, that we are saved and that we are sealed. And once we are soundly saved as a church body, that we would not waste our lives. And by that, I mean that when we stand before God someday, we won't have to be ashamed of the way that we spent our life, that the way that we interacted with one another and used the gifts that God has given us. And so for this to happen, looking ahead, looking at that day when we are all going to stand before the Lord as children of God, the way that we don't waste our lives is we abide in Christ through the power of the Spirit. He begins to help us to live a life that bears fruit and glorifies Him and brings joy to us like we found this morning in Sunday school. And so we turn our attention now to the Gospel of John. A little bit of context looking at the Gospel of John. Uh, John twenty thirty one gives a purpose statement of the book and it says this, uh, that now Jesus did many other things things while he was on earth in the presence of his disciples but these were written what was written in the book of John was written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ he is the son of God and that believing in him you may have life in his name and so John chapter 1 begins with the pre-incarnate Christ a fancy word for saying Christ before he put on flesh and became a human and chapter 2 begins with his public ministry in Canaan all the way up to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, something interesting happens. Uh, he was rejected by the masses and uh, because they loved the darkness rather than the light. And in chapter 12, verse 37, it says, though he did many signs before them, they did not believe him. So the Son of God came into the world, but like when he was born, there was no room for him. But this time, instead of a stable, it was in their hearts. And so in chapter 13, we see that Jesus turns his attention to his disciples. He turns to his disciples in chapter 13. And so in the immediate context of our, of our passage this morning, John chapter uh, 13 through 16, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for his departure. He starts to instruct them on what's going to happen next, and he encourages their hearts for the days ahead. And so chapter 13, you'll remember the beautiful picture of Christ. What does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. In chapter 14, he gives them a promise. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's going to the Father, but he's going to come again. In chapter 15, he gives them a purpose for which they are to live until he returns. He says, I want you to abide in me and bear much fruit. 
And then in chapter 16, he says, I'm going to send the power by which you are to do this. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going back to the Father, but I'm going to send the Spirit. And so here in chapter 15, he gives this powerful and meaningful metaphor of the vine and the branches. And so one of the things you'll notice as we go through books and stuff um, is, is that we need to be good Bereans. We need to ask ourselves questions. We need to look at the scriptures and we need to ask ourselves, who is writing this? What's going on? What was said right before? What's being said after? And the reason is, is so that we can apply it to our lives. We want to rightly apply it to our lives. Just like if Brooke writes me a letter, there's context, there's meaning. She's going to say certain things and I'm going to be able to understand it. But if someone else reads that letter, they would need the context to be able to understand what she was trying to communicate. And we want to know what God is communicating to us so that as his children, we can know what he expects from us. And so we look back, uh, look with me at chapter 14, verse 31. And we see that he says, at the end there, he says, rise, let us go from here. And so what was going on here is Jesus basically, he says, let's go because he knew his time had come. He fixes his eyes on the garden. He looks towards the Mount of Olives where he would be betrayed. And at night, they're going to walk across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And behind them, at the entrance uh, of the temple, there was a huge metal uh, grape cluster the size of a man. And as they're walking to the, the Mount of Olives, there just so happened that there would, have been, uh, there would have been olive trees there, and there also there would have been branches and vines. So Jesus had a perfect way of going into this metaphor. And so in verse 1 he says, Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And so when we look at this, we see here that Jesus is the true vine, God the Father is the vine dresser, and that they're are two different types of branches or people that we're going to talk about, we're going to look at. And so he says here, I am the true vine. This is the seventh and final I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And finally here, he says, I am the true vine. And so we want to ask ourselves, okay, so why did Jesus have to say, I am the true vine? Why couldn't he just say, I am the vine? Well, it's because oftentimes in the Old Testament, interestingly enough, Israel was compared to a vine. If you're taking notes and you want to jot these down, here's a few places that it talks about. Uh, we're going to look at one of them. But Ezekiel 19.10, Hosea 10.1, uh, and most commonly, uh, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. So if you would turn with me to Isaiah 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug and cleared out its stones and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat for it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was I to do for my vineyard that I had not already done? When I looked for it to, to yield grapes, 
And why did it yield wild grapes? And now I'll tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedges and, I shall, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste and it shall not, and it shall not be poured or uh, pruned or hoed. For briars and thorns shall grow up and I will command the clouds that they shall not rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. There it is. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and his pleasing plant. And he looked for justice, but beheld bloodshed, for righteousness, and behold, an outcry. And so God took Israel out of Egypt. He planted them in good soil. He gave them everything they needed. And yet, and it's also interesting to know that every time that the vineyard is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's degrading, it's falling apart, it's dying. And so even though God had done all this for them, you read the Old Testament and you see over and over and over that Israel continued to rebel. And like we talked about this morning, is the reason is, is because mankind, and God knew this, has a heart problem. We have a heart problem. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitfully wicked above everything. Jesus said that terrible things proceed from the heart. They had his law. They had 635 ways in which they were to obey God, and yet they continued to not be able to. And so what was God going to do? He said, he said, I'm not going to leave it like that. In Ezekiel 36, he said, I am going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to cause them to walk in my ways. And so roughly 600 years later, that's what happened when God sent His Son, born of a virgin, under the law. He died on the cross and He paid the penalty and He died in our place for our sins. So salvation, no longer at this point, comes through being a Jew, but through faith in Christ, who is, getting back to our text, the perfect vine. He is the perfect vine. He goes on to say, my father is the vine dresser. He's the one who planted. He's the one who tends this garden. So over 3,000 years ago, he planted Israel in Canaan. And 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And so in verse 2, uh, back in our main text, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. And so in this vineyard, you see two different types of people. You see people who are useless and you see people who are useful for the Lord. And so whether or not they are useless or useful branches is dependent on one thing, and that is they're continuing in the vine. They're continuing in Christ. An illustration of this, um, at our former church, uh, there were four of these bushy plant-looking things out front. Um, and I, I noticed that, that one day two of them were dead and that two of them were alive. And what was interesting to me about that was the fact that they were in the same soil, they got the exact same amount of water, in the exact same sunlight, but two of them were dead and two of them were alive. And the same is true with people or with souls, is there are people around us every day who are physically alive. They have a heartbeat and they might even go to church. They might even go to this church. But on the inside, they can be spiritually dead. They can be professing Christ, but not 
actually being united to the life of God that is in Christ. And sadly, very sadly, it says in John 15, 6, that he will take them away and throw them into the fire, that they will spend eternity under God's wrath and hell. But the, the, then, then we look at the useful branches. Every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes. He prunes. And so, you know, pruning is temporarily an unpleasant experience, is it not? Um, you know, it always makes me think about surgery. I think it's the perfect illustration, surgery. I'm sure many of you have had surgery. I've had surgery a couple times. So you, you go to the doctor, and, and this is kind of how it works. They say, hey, I have some bad news. Um, you have this disease, or, or you, you have this tumor, or you have this or, or whatnot. Um, but the good news is, is we can do surgery, and it'll be completely gone. Now, you show up for the day, but when you show up, you don't go, Oh, yay, I get the knife! Oh, yay, someone's going to put me to sleep, and they're going to cut me open, and they're going to cut something off and throw it away. Oh, I'm so excited! But we want the result, though, right? We want the healing that it brings. And so we should praise God for the knife. And so, uh, pruning. What is pruning? pruning? Pruning means to cut, it means to cleanse, it means to purify. It's the process where God begins to, by the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sinful patterns, thoughts, and attitudes, and He helps us put them to death. Very gracious thing that God does for us. And so, part of this process is what we call sanctification, which is a fancy word for being set apart from sin and to be set apart for God. And so one by one, he begins to cut these things out of our lives. This is what the Lord began to do to me. He began pruning me when I was in the Marine Corps. He began convicting me of my sin. And he, was, he took out those sinful habits that I had. He began putting new ones in, like wanting to fellowship with other believers, prayer, reading the Word of God, evangelism. And so even though it's painful, it's a very loving thing that God does. And so every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he cleanses, he purifies. Why? So that it can bear more fruit. The purpose of the vineyard is glorifying God by bringing more fruit. So here's how it works. Flip to Titus chapter 2. And while you're turning there, God's grace has appeared in Christ. We respond by faith, to the word of the gospel, we begin to be purified, we begin to be sanctified, and as we are being purified, we become rich in good deeds because our salvation is sealed, and we don't have to worry, we don't have to fret, we don't have to work for the Lord, but we get to zealously produce good works for the Lord. We can live and we can serve Him with joy. And so in Titus 2.11 through 14, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God and the Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness, and here it is, to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And so you remember at this point in time too, um, 
that Christ's disciples, once they had entered the garden, they became sleepy. You know, Peter even denied him, and, and many of them, they went back to their regular day job. They went back to fishing because they thought it was all over. But even knowing that, Jesus graciously looks at them and he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you in verse 3 in our main text. He says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So you keep in mind also that there was only the 11 at this point. In chapter 13, verse 30, uh, Judas leaves. Uh, he goes to betray Christ. And so what, what application do we have here on this verse? It says, you are clean because of the word spoken to you. Well, the application is very simple, is that God's word, this right here, is the primary means that God is going to use to sanctify us and to conform us more to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, he says in seventeen seventeen, sanctify them, cleanse them, set them apart in the truth. What is truth? Your word is the truth. And so in verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Pretty straightforward, right? You know, one of the things in, in my youthful ignorance, not that I'm not young anymore, I, I still am, I guess young's a relative thing, but uh, in, my, in my youthful ignorance, I, I thought that, that serving the Lord in ministry was a program. It's something you do on Tuesday nights, you know. I, I was talking to Ray this week about, you know, discipling versus making disciples, some things that Kent used to talk about. And, you know, everyone shows up, and you all go through a book, and then you go home, and, and that's discipleship, and that's ministry. But as hopefully you know, and I'll remind you, it's not. That ministry flows from relationships. Ministry flows from relationships. That's why Jesus said the two greatest commandments were what? To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love people. Those are in the context of relationships. So, but if we don't get the first one down... Loving God, knowing God, having a relationship with God. We're going to waste our time trying to serve and love other people. So we can never love and build people up in their faith if we are not abiding in Christ. If we are not abiding in Christ. And so one of the things that helped me in my thinking on this, it may help you as well, is John 6.29. If you want to jot that down. John 6.29 um, in the context there, Jesus is, some people walk up to him and they say, hey, hey, Jesus, what does it mean to do the work of the Lord? What does it mean to be in ministry? And this is Jesus' response. He says, this is the work of the Lord, that you believe in the one who sent him. Are you sure it's not having perfect attendance at church? You know, I, are you sure it's not a bunch of different church programs and making things really complicated and, and you've got to share the gospel with five people a week? No. A person can be involved in all of these things and not be abiding in having a relationship with Christ. So what does it mean to abide? What does it, what does it mean to abide? Because it's really important to define because ten times between verse uh, 4 and verse 10 in John 15, he uses the word abide. It means to stay close, 
to continue in, to be in union with. If you're married, you have, if you've been married for six months, you have a perfect illustration of this. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Terry Bess this week, the pastor at the Assembly of God Church, and they're celebrating uh, their 45th wedding anniversary coming up soon. And so um, they have committed their lives to one another. They've continued in that commitment for 45 years. So what does that look like practically day in and day out? Well, I'm a husband and I'm a father, and so I'm just going to talk to the husbands and fathers for a minute, okay? So this is, this is what it looks like. So you, you go to work, you provide for your family, you pull into the driveway when you get home, you turn off your car, you say a prayer because you need God's grace, because you know it's been a rough day, and you know the last thing you want to go in is serve and love on your family. And so you walk in the house, and these are things I'm still working on too, but you walk in the house, you love your bride, you play with your children, you help around the house, you take out the dishes, you do the laundry if you need to, and you serve at home just like you've been serving at work all day. We don't get to clock out when we get home. But even more than spouses, you know, what does it look like to abide in Christ? Well, in chapter 15.10, he says that if you obey my commandments, that you will continue in my love. And so as we obey the Lord, this fruit begins to grow more and more and more as we stay connected with Jesus. Love, joy, peace, sharing the gospel with others who are lost, serving our families, serving in the church and serving in this community. So what does it mean uh, when that, that God, uh, so what means, sorry, does God use to cultivate this fruit in us as we abide? Well, number one, we already said is his word. We have to stay in the Word of God in our personal lives and in our families and in our church. And second of all, God gave us a down deposit. He gave us the Holy Spirit until He returns or until we come home. So we have these two means uh, as we are being set apart for Him. It's important to remember too that this fruit, this fruit that God produces in us as we are abiding as we are obeying Him, as we are loving Him, as we are serving, as we are doing all these things, the fruit is a byproduct of abiding. It's not the other way around. We can't produce and do these things on our own. Time will tell and it will see that it's not from the Lord. So we want to endure. And so in, in verse four, uh, fifth, uh, 4, what does he mean when he says that Christ abides in us? Well, it's just that, that He has given us his Holy Spirit to abide in us. He abides in us. Christ abides in us through the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Um, and I believe that once a person, that biblically, once a person is saved, they are sealed. Nothing and no one can snatch us from the hands of God. Nothing, as Romans 8 says, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But here's the thing we have to keep in mind. In Second Peter 1, uh, and, in sec- and in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, we are told to examine ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. And so here's how it works. Only those who are truly saved are going to continue abiding. And those who continue abiding in Christ are truly saved. Which brings us to verse 5 in our main text. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, in case you haven't gotten it already. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. He hammers home this point that apart from a consistent, intentional, vibrant relationship with God. Now, we all stumble. We all have days where we don't get this. We all have weeks and seasons where we don't get this. But this is the aim. This is, this is, what, we, this is what we're aiming for, is apart from that vibrant, intentional relationship with Christ, we can do nothing. That is nothing of eternal value. And so, bearing fruit takes abiding, and abiding takes time. It takes time. Just like if you want to have a garden. Just like if you have a hobby. Just like if you want to get better at the guitar. Just like in our relationships, we have to work at it. It takes time. And so we have to set aside time to spend with Jesus. And you say, you know, I hear what you're saying, Mike, but honestly, I don't really know where to start. And so next week, we're going to be starting going through Philippians. And so I would encourage you, if you are not already, if you are not having a personal uh, time, some people call it quiet time. It doesn't really matter what you call it, devotional time. I call it, I, I say spending time with Jesus. You know, what are you doing? I'm spending time with Jesus because that's what I'm doing. Uh, and I know it's my job, and I understand that's, it's different. Um, but I've had seasons where I've had to. If you have to wake up early, if you have to go to bed late, I'm telling you, your soul is worth it. But start reading through Philippians. Read a chapter a day. Turn to Matthew 6, and, and for five minutes, meditate on the Lord's Prayer. Ask the Lord, how, say, Lord, teach me how to pray. Pray for things in your own family. Pray for things in this church family. Pray for your children. Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. And so, you know, and, and, and we're, near, we're new here and everything, but I really can't help but think that there are people in this room who are going through very, very difficult season right now. And I was just reminded this morning of the comfort of the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 when he says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I just, I just want to remind you this morning from God's word that God is sovereign over your trials. He's sovereign over your sufferings. And just like the vine dresser in the garden, he knows when to go out. He knows the seasons to go out and to prune and to pluck and where to do certain things so that, as it says in Romans 8, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. He knows exactly what we need when we need it. He is a good and loving Father. And so again, yeah, how much more in our lives does, does the Lord know how to tend the vineyard of our souls? And so in application this morning, as we, as we try to wrap this up, as we say, okay, well, what about Monday morning? How can I know, ask yourself, how can I know or how can I better discern which branch I currently am? Am I being useful for the Lord or am I wasting my time? Am I wasting my life? And if you really want to know, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to take an inventory. I want to encourage you to set aside time it, can only, it, it doesn't have to be long. It could be an hour. 
but set aside undistracted time. Turn your phone off. Turn off any distractions that you have. Clear your schedule. And ask yourself this one question. What do I treasure? What do I love? What do I cherish more than anything else in this life? And for many of you, and for myself included, I don't need to go sit alone and get out in the woods to do that. I already know in my heart what I do. But I just want to let you know, whatever it is that we are currently treasuring, whatever it is that we are currently resting in, it could be a person, it could be a substance, it could be something else. If it is Christ, then I promise you, you will be producing good fruit according to God's word. But if it is something else, remember the parable in Mark 4, the the thorns that choke out the word. Is there something that is choking out your soul? If you are a dying branch, you won't even think of Christ. There is something else or someone else in your life that you worship more than the Lord. And if that is you this morning, I have some bad news and I have some good news. The bad news is there's a good chance that you're probably not saved according to God's word. Not me, not my opinion. That's not what's important here. The word of God is what's important. The good news is, is that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says that Christ died in your place. That is, he took the punishment for your sins that you deserve. So that if you repent, if you're having a change of mind right now and you believe in Christ, then you will be saved. And even if you are here this morning and you are saved, we need to hear that too. Because that's, that's that's how we grow is through the gospel too. And so maybe it is that, you know, you need to find a local body if you don't have one. If it's not this one, find another one. But we would most definitely uh, welcome you here. And so I just want to say too, though, it's not easy following Christ. You know, through many trials and tribulations, we'll enter the kingdom of God. John six thirty three. Uh, in this life, you will have many tribulations, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But look to Christ and you will truly live. And if you're here this morning and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God, I want to encourage you to keep abiding in Him. Again, get up early. Go to bed late. late. Go to bed late if you have to to spend time with the Lord. Get in His presence and get in His Word. And uh, that will be a life that's not wasted. And a life that we can one day, we can, we can stand before the Lord. Because that's what I want. I want for my family... And I want for me personally to stand before the Lord and I want to hear the Lord's word say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into rest. That's our rest. Heaven's our rest. Heaven's our home. Here we have fruitful labor and it's hard, but like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, we can have joy and we can serve the Lord and one another with zeal and with joy because of what we have and what we have to come. And so I want to close with a quote from J.C. Ryle um, that sums up what it, basically what I've been trying to say that what it means to abide in Christ. J.C. Ryle says, Christians are what they are and they feel what they feel and they do what they do because they draw out of Jesus 
a continual supply of grace and help. They draw out of Jesus a continual supply of grace and help. God begins to then wean them off of this world. He draws them to Christ and He drives them to the Bible and to prayer and He shows them their own hearts. He makes them humble in this process. And so this whole process by which He prunes them and then He makes them more fruitful. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the sanctifying and satisfying power that your word has in our lives as Christians, God. I thank you for bringing Brooke and Tommy and I to this church. Father, we do not know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you are there and we know that you know, God. You know all things. And so we rest in that this morning, Lord. And I pray for those who are here this morning, God, who do not know you, who know that they are lost. I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that you would glorify yourself through them, that through their witness, God, that you would bring others to yourself. And for those here this morning who are saved by the blood of the Lamb, God. I I pray that you just continue to sanctify us. And even though, Lord, we stumble in many ways, we fall every day short of your glory, God. But thank you for your mercies that are new every day, Lord. And I just pray that we would draw into them and draw deeply more from them, from your word, day by day, Lord. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And so if you're...